Football fans rejoice. The NFL is back tonight, and you know what that means. It is time to get amped for some serious fantasy football action. I'm your host, Justin Herzig, and I am bursting with excitement as we kick off this episode of the DraftKings Football Show. Best ball drafts are wrapped up, home leagues are set, and it is time for some weekly DFS, Rainmakers, maybe a little sports betting. Time to break down the Thursday night football game, share what situations I'm watching close this weekend, and shed a little light on my contest selection strategy for this year. Ton to discuss. Let's get to it right now. Welcome to the third episode of the DraftKings Football Show. I am pumped. We are finally here. Tonight is the first night of NFL action for the 2023 season. It has been a long journey, but uh, congratulations. You have made it. You've done your part. You are tuning in because you're ready to see what information do we need to digest for this weekend, for tonight, and uh, I am here to break that all down. For today, start off, we'll talk about the Kansas City-Detroit game that we have going on. We'll then jump into a little forward uh, looking in this weekend. What am I looking to learn? What are the situations that I think that we can uh, – you know, discern the most information value out of this week's games. And uh, I'll wrap it up talking a little about some contest selection strategy, where I'm focusing my time on DraftKings, what kind of contests, what kind of uh, um, from cash to GPPs to Rainmakers to sports betting to all that. So I'll get into it. But starting off for tonight's game, we've got an exciting one in Arrowhead, Kansas City Chiefs playing against Detroit Lions. That spread is wavering between four and a half to five and a half. Not that five is an important line, so it's not that much of a difference, but we are seeing a little movement as, uh, you know, sports folks are making some bets on whether or not they believe Travis Kelsey will play tonight, maybe doing it just to get a little extra action on there too, since it's not that important of a number. Um, for me personally, I think it is unlikely he plays um, that, you know, hey, hyperextension of the knee. When they've got a long break, you know, hey, this is a Thursday night game. Next game's not going to be for another 10 days. I think it makes a little more sense just to rest him. Um, and I don't think this is a, hey, week one game where they, you know, 34-year-old Travis Kelsey needs to kind of, um, you know, push it a little. But how to say, Travis Kelsey has never missed a game due to an injury. So this would be the first year or so. From a player perspective, fully expect him to try to gut this out. It'll be a team call most likely for whether or not he plays. In the event that he doesn't, most interesting player is Noah Gray. Fifth round guy, 2021 out of Duke. Hey, he's a pretty athletic guy. He's not a, you know, not, not a specimen, but uh, definitely a pass catcher. Broke out pretty early at Duke and played a more pass catching role. It is what the Chiefs kind of brought him in for is to be kind of whether it's the replacement or complimentary, maybe just in this injury situation. But uh, it is clear that like he is a pass catcher in the Kansas City offense. Previously, he's run a route on 32% of Mahomes' dropbacks in 2022. We expect that to substantially increase as he directly plugs into that Travis Kelsey role this week. And uh, yeah, when we're thinking about like, you know, hey, what is this guy? What is his skill set? Like he ran a 4-6-2-40. He's uh has some strength, six foot three, 200, I think it's 240 pounds or so. Uh, but like, this is something that we are looking for that I don't think like, you know, hey, he's going to take that full Kelsey role, but can he get 70%, 80% of the way there? I think it's worth checking. Uh, for home leagues, I'm not playing him above like your other kind of top 10, top 12 guys. But if you need someone, I don't think he's a horrible play as long as we know that Kelsey is not playing. The rest of the guys 
We're looking at Sky Moore and MVS as the primary wide receiver starters here. Um, looks like Tony should play. We'll get a little more information, but I'm expecting to see an uptick for Sky Moore and MVS. One thing that when I think about these situations is the difference between an unexpected um, in, an unexpected miss for a key player like Travis Kelsey and one where it's kind of more gradual and you've got the season to repair. For these more unexpected ones, I don't usually see like a, a substantial bump to in, in roles from other players as the ball's kind of either Noah Gray fills in or it's spread out a little. I think when you have a situation where if Travis Kelsey were to miss extended time, then in practice, you start scheming. You maybe say, you know what? Hey, Sky Moore, we want you to take on an increased role. Maybe you actually, hey, play more of those kind of three wide receiver sets. Um, and that's where we see more long-term movement. So on a one-game basis, I think it's Noah Gray who probably has the largest bump. Maybe we see a small uptick to those other guys just from a spreading the ball around. Um, I think for this game as well, we're also going to see a decent amount of rushing. Um, CEH might be kind of a... Uh, unexpected, um, you know, unexpected shock to people when, hey, if you have, you know, if you've drafted Isaiah Pacheco. Um, but I think like CEH might come on playing a decent role early on. Pacheco as well. McKinnon, we'll see how much, they, you know, how much they, how slowly they bring on McKinnon to rest him for the rest of the season. And Pacheco is still coming off the injury too as well. But I think overall, we can expect kind of Kansas City to play, you know, be ahead in this game and wouldn't be shocked if they kind of play a bit more slower paced rushing based game. On the other side with Detroit, uh, no major injury news. Obviously, Jamison Williams will not be playing due to his suspension. Uh, I think most interesting situation is going to be the Dave Montgomery versus Jameer Gibbs. Obviously, Gibbs, um, early draft pick and full expectation that he's going to be the pass catcher in this offense. I'm still bullish on David Montgomery. I still think that he may be kind of the forgotten guy in this. They brought him in in free agency, gave him a substantial contract. Uh, I think that we're going to see a role for both of these players. And uh, around the goal line, I wouldn't be shocked if we still see Dave Montgomery having that role. He's been in the league. He's a veteran. He's got the trust of a coaching staff versus maybe a rookie. And uh, so you know, for me, I think they're both solid plays, but uh, I would not, you know, I wouldn't forget about Dave Montgomery from a receiving end. We know Amon Ra is just going to uh, take a majority of that target share, carry the load, especially with Jamison out. Um, maybe we see, you know, hey, we still have a sprinkling of other guys in that offense like Josh Reynolds as well. But I think, you know, Amon Ra is the key play here. And then we'll guide to walk at, watch is going to be Sam Laporta, rookie tight end, going to be plugged into an every down role. Um, how much, you know, he's actually getting usage targets in this. We'll see. But I think from an actual like being on the field, he will be there. Should be an exciting game. I'm pumped. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, Hopefully we see a good game. Would love for Kelsey to be able to kind of be healthy, go out there. But in the case that he's not, uh, hopefully this stuff helps. Okay. Looking forward to the entire weekend. Now I'm going to go through kind of, hey, which each team, there's a lot that we can learn. Some of those things, let's say like New Orleans, we're not going to learn much in what that kind of backfield looks like because Alvin Kamara is suspended. Kendra Miller's hurt may not even play. So full expectation is Jamal Williams is going to have the backfield to himself for the most part. But uh, that doesn't really help us much from a long term. So what I've been doing here is focusing on like, hey, what are the things that from a usage, from a snaps, from a routes run that after this week, we can look back on and be like, yep, that is noteworthy. This is going to impact my decision making process going forward. Starting off, an example is Ravens pass catchers. Sounds like Zay Flowers. Uh, Odell Beckham and Rashad Bateman should all be healthy, should all be out there. 
Mark Andrews has been dealing with a slight injury, but I think he's leaning towards playing this week. And so assuming all four are out there, I'm very curious for a couple of things. One, what is the impact of Todd Monken on this offense? How much, how, how much faster and how much pass heavy is this team going to be? Two, we haven't seen wide receivers been utilized for a while in a Lamar Jackson offense. Yes, some for injury, some for lack of talent. But this year, it looks like that's going to change. Todd Monken, offensive quarter, has even noted like he wants to bring this back to what it looked like for Lou, you know, um, Lamar Jackson when he was at Louisville. And so if that's the case, what is the pecking order here? Is Zay Flowers just going to play that slot role? Is Bateman, can he become the alpha? Does Odell Beckham still have juice in, you know, in, in that tank? I'm not sure. But I think that's one where hopefully we have all four healthy, we get clarity, and we can kind of start making more confident bets going forward. This is a team from a DFS angle where I think because the field is there's ambiguity, there's uncomfort in like who's actually going to be elevate to be those top pass catchers. I think you're not going to see them stacked as much as they probably should be. That's a t- game that I would want to target and kind of make some bets on. For me, I think, oh, it's tough. I, I really don't know. Uh, I think Bateman's probably the one that I'm most bullish on. And I think from a contrarian angle, because I think he'll probably actually be the least owned, um, obviously pricing and, and, and pricing coming into account. But uh, Zay Flowers has gotten all that hype. Okay, from a next, Vikings backfield. They went into the, you know, after 53 minute roster cuts with just three running backs, as I've talked about before. And then they took Kine Longu and put him on the IR. So then you have two backs. You bring in Miles Gaskin. This seems like it should be Alexander Madison's backfield. If it's not, it's most likely then that Ty Chandler plays a complementary role. What that is actually going to look like can be very interesting for fantasy from a DFS, from a season long and everything. Because if this truly is Alexander Madison getting a full workhorse role, like we saw with Dalvin Cook in the past, even if Alexander Madison doesn't have the talent that you know we want in our running back, just getting that role in Minnesota on a high-powered offense is very valuable. We'd love to see it, love to play it forward. He'd be a great value uh, from the you know from where you are going in drafts around the ADP of sixty. Now, if Ty Chandler can actually find himself a role, this then becomes maybe even a season-long potential flex play with upside for if Alexander Madison were to go down. So from a watching this game, I want to see, does Madison have this backfield to himself? If he does, that's amazing for him. If he doesn't, and Ty Chandler is actually playing legitimate snaps, Ty Chandler then probably becomes a waiver ad, maybe even a potential flex play depending on the matchup. And uh, if Madison were to go down, it then seems like Chandler would take a far larger role. All right, moving on to Atlanta. The way that Atlanta ended the season after Marcus Mariota was benched slash had the injury, um, Desmond Ritter and that offense actually passed substantially more than when Mariota was in. And so I'm curious, is that going to continue? We know Arthur Smith is known for running the ball, run, 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 literally runs. You know, the difference between uh, the difference between I think the rushing attempts between uh, the 32nd and 31st Atlanta and the next was almost the same as like from that 31st to like literally the 15th or something. Like it was insane how large that gap was. So my question is, are they actually going to continue that very small sample size, but increase in passing that we saw at the end of last season? And if so, how much can they even just get into a, like really move out of that last spot from a lack of passing? If so, that obviously is very valuable for Drake London and Kyle Pitts. Um, And then also like, I mean, Desmond Ritter, not, not really going to come into play, but it's a min-priced guy with a little rushing upside. 
he would be a very contrarian play, but um, it's a targeted content. It is a highly concentrated target tree if they're actually going to start passing more. The other is Bijan versus Algier. Cordell Patterson has been suffering an injury throughout the offseason, so I'm not expecting to see much from him in week one. But uh, for Bijan and Algier, the question is, what role, kind of complementary role, does Algier play? Obviously, Bijan is the guy there. Question becomes, like, is he going to have that 80%, 90% workload, or is this going to be more like a 65-35? And if that's the case, um, it hurts Bijan a decent amount for when we were drafting him as a first-rounder for DFS when you're playing him as one of the highest salary guys. I think this week his price is a little subdued. I think it makes sense to kind of play him, but I'm still very curious in what happens with this split between those two backs because, hey, Tyler Algier was a very competent, strong back for Atlanta last year. Green Bay. Now, was very excited to see what's going to happen with this passing offense for Green Bay, especially after how dominant their offensive line looked in preseason. Their offensive line was number one offensive line for pass protection this offseason. I mean, this, this preseason. And uh, that's fantastic when you've got a, uh, what, first-time QB, we'll call it, in Jordan Love. Challenge for this week, though, is it sounds like Dobbs and, Watt and Christian Watson are both suffering some injuries. So questionable whether or not we'll actually see them out there. That really just leaves rookie second rounder Jaden Reed as the main healthy wide receiver. Hopefully one or two of those guys are able to play. Um, but if so, it's a, one of those where you know, if we can get them out of the field, I'm just curious, how does Jordan Love actually look? How strong is that offensive line? Really, like, was this an outlier in the preseason against kind of second, third string? Or is this actually indicative of what we can expect? And uh, then, like, can this offense just take the next level with Jordan Love at the helm? Staying cold, moving over to Cleveland, Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson last year looked atrocious. Now, he only played the second half of the year. The offense was not schemed at all for his skill set. There's a lot of excuses that we can make for last season. I'm willing to give him benefit of the doubt. This season, though, all the wording was that we're going to actually play Deshaun Watson's skill sets. We're going to revamp this offense. We bring in Elijah Moore. We draft another rookie wide receiver. Um, this screams, hey, we are trying to provide Deshaun Watson with a scheme and talent personnel that supports him. Then preseason comes and we see he came um, Deshaun Watson plays were in empty 44% of the time. Last year, that was 13%. Shotgun, 80% of the time versus 64% of the time last year. This is saying, hey, we want to provide Deshaun, I mean, Deshaun Watson with more of a pass-first offense. And if that's the case, that, you know, likely is a boom to Watson, boom to the entire offense. Uh, other thing is, we've heard rumors about potentially more designed runs for Deshaun Watson. If we could start getting 20, yeah, not 20, 20, maybe 30 to 40 rushing yards per game for Deshaun Watson, combined with him having that kind of success that he's had in the air in the past, uh, he could make his way into a top five quarterback conversation for fantasy. Titans. All right. We know that the Tennessee offense, they brought in DeAndre Hopkins as the major signing. You've got Hopkins, you've got Traylon Burks, you've got Chig as your primary pass catchers. I'm curious though, what is this going to look like in the backfield? Derrick Henry was on pace for a absurd amount. I think around 460 uh, touches last year before getting injured. Do they continue that pace for him this year or do they actually use Tajay Spears Maybe Tajay takes passing downs. Maybe Tajay takes some of the receiving work. Maybe Tajay touches the field when uh, just you know to spell Henry when he needs that break. I'm not sure, but I think that's a key for me because we've never seen the Titans really use a complimentary back to Derrick Henry. 
but they've also never had a complimentary back as good as Ty J Spears is. So this gives me some, uh, I don't know, hope or optimism. If you are a fan of Ty J or if you have Ty J as a sleeper on your team, that they may actually start using him and hopefully he can carve out a role. That's not just if Derrick Henry goes down. Interesting thing that I'm going to be looking for this week. Staying in the backfield, we'll go over to New England. Uh, Ramondre versus Zeke. Just is this Zeke uh, smoke? Is there actual, you know, is this smoke for there's actual fire or is this just kind of noise? But there's been some rumblings that Zeke may actually have a goal line work, uh, goal line role and take some of that work from Ramondre. This is going to be an interesting one for New England because their wide receiver core is pretty decimated from an injury standpoint. Uh, they got two tight ends on their hammer, but Mike Kosicki's been dealing with an injury as well. Like, how run first do they go with this offense this week? And, you know, what, what is that split going to look like between Ramondre and Zeke? Uh, I personally think that Ramondre is still going to take a major kind of pass catching role. And I think that's where he thrives the most. But I do think, like, they brought Zeke in for a reason. I think Zeke's going to have an potentially early down roll and some of that goal line work. Um, so I think this is a, a legitimate concern for Ramondre. He can still get there just from his pass catching work and maybe having that like eight to 10 rushes per a game. Um, that would still be, hey, provides him with upside. But if he's not getting the touchdown work, it's challenging. Because I've mentioned this before, New England has one of the toughest schedules this year. And if you look at the defenses in their division, it is not easy. So uh, if Ramondre doesn't, you know, have that goal line work. Um, yes, can still get there with the pass catching, but obviously wants those touchdowns. Another backfield for Carolina. Miles Sanders dealt with an injury during the preseason. His ADP kept dropping all throughout the offseason, all the way down to ADP of 82, um, which interesting because he started off like in the 60s and the positive reports from the coaching staff was we want to actually unlock that pass catching role for Miles Sanders. And the truth is, if he's actually going to be a, a pass catcher in that offense, he will blow away his ADP of 82. But does he actually catch those passes? Hasn't been a good pass catcher. We haven't seen him do it really since his rookie year. Um, it's possible, but I think like that's one of those where, hey, if you were drafting him, you were making a bet that it was kind of an upside bet that if he has it, he can really surpass that ADP. If he doesn't, then 82 is probably about where he should have been being drafted. Um so I will be interested just to see like what actual role does the uh, it does the wording does the interviews match what we actually see on the field and then behind him um, is it Chuba Hubbard is it Raheem Blackshear I believe it's going to be Chuba I think the preseason showed us that um, he is the number two guy there but can he actually take you know dig into uh, my car you know carve an actual uh, um, carve an actual role with Miles Sanders hurt that's what we're curious on we'll see. Last team we're going to talk about another backfield is the Rams. Cam Akers and Kieran Williams. Neither of them played in any of the preseason games. This is usually very positive news for both of them, given that, hey, they've already secured their role. Now, the Rams are at risk of being a complete dumpster fire. Cooper Cup, obviously missing week one, may have some nerve damage, may be a long-term issue. Uh, it doesn't look good. Then when you look at the other options in the field, you've got Tyler Higby. And besides that, you're looking at Puka. You're looking at Tutu Atwell. Uh, you're looking at, um, oh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name right now, but uh, old Kansas City wide receiver. Like it is not pretty. And so they're going to have to depend on that run game to be efficient, I think, because there's just not much of options without Cooper Cup in that passing game. 
in this role, what do we look at? Because if they're just stacking it in the box against Akers, does Kieran actually have an increased role as a pass catcher? Can he see something like five plus targets a game? I think it's very possible. Um, interesting backfield that I'm curious to watch, assuming that the you know, assuming that the Rams aren't just a complete dumpster fire, because especially for this game, Rams versus Seattle, both of these defenses are not good. And uh, so this is a legitimate opportunity for like, hey, if you can bet the right place, if you can find the right opportunity from who's going to get the volume, this could turn into uh, just an ugly, uh, a bad defense game, which leads lead to some offensive production. Okay, those are the main situations that I'm looking at. Obviously, there's a lot going around on on the NFL. And uh, when we take a look at other teams, there's stuff we can learn. But these are the ones where I think can actually be most indicative for what we can actually start projecting going forward. Let's move into contest selection. Uh, each year, I try to you know think through, take a fresh start. I look back at my results and try to see like, hey, where do I have the most success? Where do I think the most opportunity is? And where should I be spending my time? Uh, for me, it kind of focuses on two core elements from a DFS angle. It's cash games and it's uh, single entry or three max entry. Um, I'm not a GPP bro. I'm more of a hand builder. I'm more of a thinking through like, hey, here are the core opportunities, limiting myself to kind of three, maybe five max of those actual GPPs. But uh, at the end of the day, the bread and butter is the cash game. I still love it. Yes, you might be grinding out a small ROI, but I feel like it's the most pure form of DFS, figuring out who are actually the core plays. What is that best lineup going forward? So I will be in the DraftKings lobby. I'll have a whole bunch at different levels, including the $5. So if you're interested and just kind of, hey, scooping me in the lobby just to kind of get a little fun in it, go ahead, do it. I'll be uh, each week kind of, each week I'll end up reviewing what my cash lineup was, talking through my strategy. Uh, I'll get into a little more of the structure going forward, but uh, cash still a core part of it. I'll post head to heads. I think if you're posting head to heads, that's the best way to get kind of soft action. However, you're limited in how much you can get. I would not be going and scooping other people's head to heads. I think that's how you're getting some of the sharpest action. Um, so from a recommendation post at all levels, um, that you feel comfortable. And, uh, these are usually where you get able to get the most casual users to join. Um, and then next would be 50 fifties, uh, 50 fifties. Oh, I'm blanking right now on the other name, but, uh, yeah, that was double ups. All right, 50-50s and double ups would be the next one. Ideally, single entry of those. When you start getting into the ones you can max 150, become very sharp with just a lot of the kind of uh, sharper players plugging in and maxing those out. So anything you can do from a, hey, single entry or, you know, I think there's 20, 20 entry max ones, focus on those going forward next. Um, and then... I think, yeah, I think those 100 person ones are fine. For those 100 person ones where it's the 50 50s, uh, I would say primarily join those Sunday morning. If you're joining those on Wednesdays, on Thursdays, that's when the most sharp players, the pros are going through getting their volume. If you're joining those on Sunday, you're not going to get as much volume, but you're getting a lot easier competition. That's when the more casuals go in, scroll through the lobby that uh, haven't been really prepping this all week. From a tournament strategy, I pretty much like to enter as many of the single entry tournaments as, po as possible. I think there's the most edge there where you know a lot of people just put their cash game and cash lineup in there. A lot of people just put their absolute favorite lineup in there. Usually when I'm building a single entry lineup, I'm still considering that, hey, I want this to have a level of contrarian to it. I am building for that contest size. 
Uh, so that's how also I'll end up with maybe three to five lineups based off different contest sizes and enter those appropriately through. Um, but uh, I think this is the best way for me to, hey, just like know that I'm putting my uh, I'm putting my focus into some core elements, especially when uh, late swap starts happening. I can really focus on how can I maximize my edge through late swap, through making the right decision, through looking at those specific lineups and what's above me if something's in contention. Um, without kind of going crazy on my Sundays. And uh, so, yeah, single entry and then those kind of three max turnies are where I spend most of my time there. And then last one from a Rainmakers. Uh, this year, I'm trying uh, Rainmakers and staying around like a $1,000 budget for the year, tracking all my uh, purchases, my buys, my sells. And I'm really going to try to stay around that rare level. So far, I'm in for around five $600. I've made that big Justin Jefferson elite sale while then going and kind of buying some others. So I'm trying to stay around that. Um, for me, I'm still learning about what are the right contests there. So as I go through, if people have questions about that, leave it in the comments, put, me on, put it on Twitter. But I'm going to try to go through my strategies. I learn kind of what's the optimal along the way as well. And uh, last thing from kind of selection is in-season best ball. Once that launches, this is one of my favorite things to do in the year because so many people are over overreacting to immediate um, you know, things that aren't that predictable. They're not accounting for injuries or they're over accounting for injuries. So assuming DraftKings has some in-season best ball, um, we'll be jumping in those as well and can talk through some strategy. Uh, I'll have some rankings up on ETR as well, like I did in the past for what as well. So uh, those are really where I'm focusing. Unfortunately, not important. I live in Florida and unfortunately there is no sports betting currently in Florida. So I will, you know, I'm, I'm interested in it. I pay attention to it. If that's something people want, I can definitely give a take or two, but I also don't think I have a major edge from a sports betting angle. Um, but I do think it's a fun way to kind of get some sweat on the game. But being down in Florida, I cannot bet it. So I probably won't be focusing too much attention on that. Um, and that gets me to like where I will be. So from a show structure going forward, we're going to break this down from a weekly standpoint into two shows. Sunday evenings, slash early Monday morning, I'm going to be doing my rapid reaction. I'll talk through what happened the week before, talk through my cash game lineup, my tourney lineups, what I saw, what I'm tilted on, all of that, and try to get that so it'll be ready for you when you wake up Monday morning in the podcast stores. And uh, then Thursday will be this more traditional show. will be the Thursday look ahead. That's where we'll talk through. I think it's too early to really be saying, hey, here I'm looking at from a cash game standpoint. But what I can do is really, hey, here are the games that I'm targeting. Here are the situations that I'm monitoring. Uh, this isn't supposed to be as much of a, hey, you know, hey, this is more of a teach the fish than give you the fish. And to be honest, on Thursday, if you gave someone that fish, it would spoil by Sunday. And uh, same thing with DFS. If you're trying to give someone, hey, some help on a cash lineup on a Thursday or something like that, come Sunday, everything changes. Um, and so that's where I think it's like, hey, it's more important to think about, here are the things that I'm monitoring, maybe some injury news, maybe some situations that we've learned from the previous week. Um, here are the games that I'm most excited about. Here are the ones that I think are a bit more contrarian. Uh, talking, that's when the pod should be dropping. Appreciate all of you for, hey, subscribing, listening to this, sharing this with a friend. Um, I'm excited to continue to produce this each week and uh, should be a really fun season. So again, I put this out on Twitter too, but if you have any feedback on the show, any comments, Anything you want me to include in this, feel free. Send me a tweet. Send me a DM. Leave a comment in the Apple Store. All of that. Really appreciate it. And um, I think that is it for now. So have a great rest of your day. Football is finally back. Can't wait. I'll see you all next week.